Good morning. Thank you, Darren, for reading that psalm to us, a psalm that talks about us praising and lifting up God, exalting him, and, and talking about all that he is doing in this world, all that we see him doing in our lives, in our daily circumstances. And I guess that is a good tune-up for where we're going today in Acts chapter 3. Just wondering about our sense of the Lord's grace in our lives, in our circumstances, in the world around us. And you know, we can thank the Lord for a, a beautiful, sunshiny day, but really there is so much more that God is doing in this world and in our lives. We, uh, we see this world around us and we see it to be sometimes a big mess. But yet, as we walk in the world as the image bearers of Christ, as redeemed image bearers of, of, of the Lord himself, we should be spreading that grace and sensing that grace, and we should be the salt of the world as we read in the scriptures as well. So let's, um, before we get into the Lord's word this morning, just take some time and pray and ask God that we would even sense his grace, his power, uh, his spirit speaking to us in this moment. So let's pray together. Father, you are a great God, and we fall so far short of even understanding that most times. And I just pray that as we have gathered here this morning through this means, that um, you would help us to be tuned instruments, finely tuned instruments, not because of any ability that we have, but because of your Spirit's presence in our life. We've been studying that in, in, in Acts and seeing how you impart your Spirit to those who have turned to you, to those who you have saved. And we just pray that we would be, uh, we would be um, just tuned and listening to you this morning, not distracted. And we realize, Lord, even as we come before you, that we're struggling people. We, we struggle, we're frail, we struggle with sins, we are often distracted by the things of this world, the good and the bad. And we just pray that you would help us today to come before you with open hearts, open minds, to worship you, to hear from you, to glorify you as God and creator and savior of this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just a little recap, a little bit of a review this morning. Very important because as we change from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 3, we're, we're finishing the introduction of Acts. We've seen in the first two chapters of this book that we've also called Second Luke because Luke wrote his gospel, then he wrote the history in Acts. In, in the gospel, he wrote about the history of Jesus Christ's works, all that he began to do. And in Acts, or Second Luke, he continues to write about what Jesus Christ does in his church through the power of the Spirit after he left. And uh, they've been this introduction, these first two chapters, and we're reminded of the promise of the Spirit that Jesus Christ gave at the end of the gospel, how he said, my Spirit will come, and he commanded his disciples to abide, to wait in Jerusalem, to 
And we know we're to abide in him to provide that necessary environment for him to work. Because why would the Lord work in our lives if we were sort of running around doing our own thing? But when we're focused on him, it's not that we don't live life, but when we're focused on him, when we're walking through life in relationship with him, then we begin to see him work in us and through us and around us. And that is the way it was, too, when Jesus walked in this earth. His disciples, the, the, the people who are highlighted as his disciples, were the people who walked closely with him. And he used them, and he worked in their presence, and they saw it. And it's the same thing as Jesus left. Those who remained in him, those who he said, you will see me, we will come and dwell in you, I and the Father, in the form of the Spirit. Um, you're going to see me, and you're going to know me through this. And we realize it's the same way today. It's the same way it continues to work in the church of Jesus Christ. And so we need to have this persistent, obedient, abiding in him. And I cannot repeat this enough. I cannot say this enough. We don't want to have some kind of a second-hand faith. We don't want to have a second-hand relationship with the Lord as we repeat things that other people have said, good things even. We want to be in fellowship with the Father, with the Son, through the Spirit and His dwelling in His life. I want that. I know that's what you want as well. If you desire anything, if you're dissatisfied in this life, it's because you desire you desire a personal relationship with the Lord. And that's what we've been created for. That's why we come together. We study the word because it, it brings us back to the truth that surrounds this idea of our relationship with God, which is, uh, you know, especially gospel centered. Uh, Jesus Christ coming into the world, dying for our sins. We'll be celebrating that in communion a little bit later today. But it's not simply just a faith uh, that is a reassuring faith. Oh, that's a nice story, a nice truth, but it's a radically transformative faith because the Spirit dwells in us. It's uh, transforming. That's the only way I can say it. Uh, our lives will be different when the Lord dwells in us. Our lives and the situations that we're all involved in will be different. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, what happened in the apostles' lives as they walked through this world. We've seen already how the Spirit worked in them, worked through them. They communicated the gospel. They communicated the mighty works of God. Peter preached that great message, Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and he preaches, and then people are filled with the Spirit, and they receive that truth. And then the church just begins to start rolling. Um, there are people coming to faith. There are people who are walking in the apostles' doctrine. They're learning together, and they're growing together, and they're worshiping together, and, and it's just this, this community that continues to go forward. And this is what we want to be experiencing today. I know it is, uh, that which Jesus talked about in John chapter 16, when he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you 
into all truth. What an idea that the Spirit of God is guiding us through this life. We can accomplish a lot of good things in this world. We can do a lot. But in the end, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, we just kind of throw up our hands and go, well, what was the good of that thing, of that project, of that job, of this, you know, where is the, the lasting value? But if we have a sense that God is in us and that God is leading us, it doesn't matter how mundane the task, how simple the job, the things that we do, we have a sense that we are doing them, led by him to do them. And we're doing them for eternal purposes. And I, I just wish I could get a better handle on that in my own life, doing things for eternal purposes. And let's, when we question that, um, let's question that. And let's ask God, God, what is it you would have me do? How would you lead me? We want the spirit of truth to be leading us. We know that he's promised. We know that Christ fulfills his promises. We know he's here. Let's be looking for him and, and listening, learning to hear his voice and learning to follow him. Because when we're walking in step with the spirit, we will see things differently. We'll see things as they truly are. We will act differently. We will be acting as we ought. And life will be different. It will be as it really should be. And I know, I know that I, you and I often go through this life and we maybe come to the end of a day or maybe even come to an end of a week and we say, where, where was God in that? And it's not that God wasn't available. It's not that God wasn't present. It's oftentimes that we just weren't aware. We weren't looking. We were just going about the routine of the day. And so in chapter 3 of Acts, we move beyond just the, the general statements, uh, the, the apostles going out, the preaching of the gospel, the the multitude receiving, coming to faith, and, you know, the church begins. We, we move into a more personal, more focused look at the relationships that are going on here. And we see how this faith works out in more, in more individual sort of circumstances and facing the challenges that there are in the world. And we recognize recognize that there are many challenges uh, today in this world. And there were many challenges in the day before. And if we even look back to, once again, the Gospel of John, in, in John 14, 30, Jesus, when he's talking about the Spirit coming, he says the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about Satan going to be working in the people to oppose his work to oppose the church, to oppose his children. And so we're going to be seeing this in this coming chapter of how um, the Spirit continues to work. The Spirit continues to guide and lead through difficult circumstances as well as glorious and good and grace-filled circumstances. So how do the apostles live out 
um, this idea of, you know, the spirit working in them and through them in, in a more personalized setting. What we read in the last of chapter two, we just to bounce back there. You know, it mentions in Acts 2.43, it says, Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We're going to see uh, a, this expanded upon, this idea of the signs and wonders that were seen by the apostles. And also there's another verse there, 46, where it talks about the people, the, the new church attending the temple daily. And uh, we're going to see that expanded upon. What does that look like as we go into this event that is at the same time an illustration of the power of grace in the believers? And it is through the believers. And it is an explanation of the power of grace in the unbeliever in this event. So let's read the first 10 verses of chapter 3. Read along with me. Focus Read questioningly. What does that mean as we go along? And how does that apply to my life? And we know that the Spirit will speak, not just through what I'm saying, but the Lord will speak to you. The Lord will help you understand how this truths, these truths apply to you. It says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 3, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So that would be about 3 in the afternoon, there's a regular prayer time. We know that the, the, the apostles and the new believers were still going to the temple. They were still meeting there and worshiping God. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the, day, uh, sorry, at the gate of the temple. It is called beautiful, the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement uh, at what had happened to him. So we remember this story from Sunday school. Peter and James, or Peter and John, sorry, uh, coming up to the temple and that, that statement, I think in the King James, it was silver and gold have I none. And I think there was even a chorus for children that was written uh, with that title, silver and gold have I none. And, uh, and we, we look at it and we think, what a neat story, a testimony of God's power in that situation. But with the foundational study that we've already done in the first couple of chapters, uh, I think that we can see a profound lesson, a lesson that is more profound to us as we consider this chance meeting 
at the gate of the temple here. When the Spirit of God is involved in our lives, a day with ordinary expectations can lead to an unusual exchange that turns into an incredible experience. Right? I want to listen one more time as I say that. A day with ordinary expectations can lead, can lead to an unusual explain, exchange that turns into an incredible experience. And it's not that every experience in our life is going to be uh, miraculous. But as we walk with the Lord, as we wait on him, as we listen to his voice, as we go about living life within his presence, there will be situations where we will be amazingly aware of his grace. And I trust that as you look back over this week, there were some instances where you say, there, God did a work there. God opened up an opportunity here or there. And if not, why? Why not? If, if this past week was a little bit dry, uh, spiritually speaking, or as far as grace goes, why, why was it? And uh, I look at my own life and I say, why, Lord? What, what have I done or not done? How have I been walking? Have I been not aware of your presence? And so let's just look at this situation and see sort of how God works through this situation and see if we can become more finely tuned instruments to the work of God. As we begin verses 1 and 2, it's interesting because we have people going about their normal activities. There's nothing uh, absolutely exciting going on here. Everybody's just doing what they normally do. And we have these two pious apostles uh, going for the afternoon time of prayer. And we have an unnamed lame man who's going to the temple to beg for alms. Both parties are going to the temple. And uh, as the disciples or the apostles were on their way there, we're not sure if the air was charged with electricity and if there was this expectation that something was going on. Nothing we read leads us to, uh, to, to, to think that. But they were being obedient. They were living out a life of worship and praise and, and uh, and they were on their way to the temple. And the lame man, he was simply doing what he did every day. Every day, he was carried to this particular gate. We don't, aren't able to identify it because it seems that it was kind of like a, a nickname they had for this particular gate, that it was the beautiful gate. One of the gates of the temple that at that time was called the beautiful gate. Um, and he would, he would be laid there by his friends. Uh, or or family, and it was maybe more of a strategic thing than a spiritual thing, but he was laid in a place where um, in a place where he would be more likely to get uh, alms or get gifts given to him because as the people go to the temple, they have a more heightened sensitivity to his need. Either because they want to serve God, they're people who are going to worship God, they're walking in step with the Lord, and, and the Lord's speaking through their hearts and saying, 
look with compassion upon this guy. And so maybe they're there and they, they want to uh, loving, love the disadvantaged man. Um, or maybe, on the other hand, there are people who are going to the temple thinking, ooh, I've got to do some good works. And I've got to, you know, maybe I can leverage some blessing by, from God. People often think about this incorrectly. They think, if I do something good for God, then he's obligated to do something good for me. And so as this, as this man was laid at the gate, there was a strategic placement being at the temple. And I remember being in Peru. Uh, you know, we would go walking past churches and always uh, along the front of these churches downtown, there would be people begging and there would be people sitting on the ground, people who couldn't walk or people with some sort of a, uh, an infirmity and they were begging and they're hoping that as people walk by the church, they'd be reminded, oh, I've got a responsibility to God. And whether it be out of the goodness of their heart, they think, oh, I want to I help somebody. Or, uh, or maybe out of, the, <laughs> out of the selfishness of their heart, maybe I can get something from God if I do a good work. And I don't think the, the lame man was necessarily uh, discriminating between the gifts that were given. He didn't... Uh, receive coins and go, you know, that person, they look like they're, they're just doing this to try and get something from God. I won't take it. He, it, he, he didn't judge the people. And so we won't judge people either, but we know, we know innately in our hearts that that's what's going on. That's how human nature works. And so he was strategically placed there and he was uh, getting gifts whether by obligation or genuine love and concern and care, he was getting gifts from the people. And so there's one dramatic difference, though, between these two parties as they meet at the temple. We have Peter and John who were coming because it was a time of prayer. The apostles had come to give. They come to offer their prayers to the Lord. And then we have this beggar, and he was coming to receive. He came hoping that he would receive gifts and offerings and alms or alms from people. Now, neither is wrong, and I'm not judging either, either side. And, you know, I was going to say, we need to consider who we are in this whole thing, but sometimes we're we're one and sometimes we're the other. Are we somebody who has received, first of all, God's grace, who knows his salvation and who ha have this great debt of love back to God, whereby we want to worship and serve him? Is that how you would describe your life? Someone who's received grace, who out of love wants to give back to God? Or are we feeling... Uh, like we're particularly needy at this time. Maybe we do not know God. Maybe we understand we haven't received salvation. We haven't received his grace. And we are begging God, please, Lord, help me understand what this life is all about. Help me to understand. I know I'm a sinner. I know 
I need a savior. Please give me grace. Or maybe at this point in our life and our spiritual walk, we're feeling particularly needed, needy. We're feeling disabled. We're feeling disconnected from the Lord. And we feel like we need grace. And I think that it's important we consider who we are in this story. Um, because that is how we, we'll see how God works. His overarching gift of grace to all involved. And we see this man as needy. We're all needy, but we see this man particularly as needy because of his physical problem. He's lame because of his poverty. And that seems to be the way we operate as human beings. We identify superficial needs a lot quicker than we do the spiritual. Um, even in our own lives, we're more ready to see our spiritual poverty or our neediness when we're going through times of need. And that's often what awakens us to the fact that, God, we, we need you, Lord. We need you to be close. We need you to be guiding us. We need you to be working in and through us. But you know, a person who is facing poverty, they can still have the joy of the Lord. They can still be even more joyful than someone who has an abundance, someone who we would classify as rich. And we need to realize when we start classifying people as rich, there are many more people who classify us as rich in the society we live in. And what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that somebody who is poor or disadvantaged cannot know the joy of the Lord. We know there are people who are poor. I, I just connected just before the service here this morning. I got a phone call from the orphanage in Peru. I guess some of the boys in, in one of the, in the, in the home that the boys are in, they were talking and they're saying, what happened to Steve? Where is he at right now? And so Alex, the director, he, he calls. And so we get this little video chat with these boys. And I see them, and they're happy, and they're laughing, and they're saying hi and stuff. And, you know, you look at those boys. They don't have parents. There's no money. But there's joy. And there can be joy. There can be joy when we have nothing of this world's goods. And there can be deep joy as long as we understand that our life has been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Our sin has been resolved, wiped away, forgiven, because Christ paid for our sin. We have a relationship with God. And so having less is not a big deal. James talks about that in his book, in his letter. He says, you know, look at, the, look at the poor man, and he's exalted. Because people look at somebody with nothing, and they go, wow, he has nothing. But if he's a believer in Christ, he knows the joy of the Lord. He's walking in faith, and they say, wait a second. How can that guy, who has so much less than me, how can he be happy? Where does that joy come from? And his life becomes a, a living testimony of the grace of God. And then 
On the other side, uh, you know, those of us who have wealth and still know the Lord, we live our lives in such a way that we say, yeah, we have this, but we want to use it for God's glory. We have this, but we realize this is not where our joy is found. And as people scramble to, to get, to have, to have more, we live with a contentedness and use that in a way that would please God. But our focus in this life is not on the material. And that's a big challenge for us. As, that's, as we go through this life, as we live this life, not to be distracted by what we see in the physical, superficial, not to be overwhelmed by it, but to recognize our relationship with God is so much more important than all of these things. And as we come to this ordinary circumstance, as we see the apostles arriving at the temple to, to worship, as we see this man being placed at the gate to beg, we understand this as being an ordinary daily circumstance. And what comes of it? Well, let's continue reading in verse three and let's see what, um, let's see what happens here. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, the lame man asked to receive alms. <laughs> you got anything for me? And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. I don't know if they were pulling their pockets inside out at this point in time. But he says, look at me. And, uh, and he fixed his attention on them. The layman looked at them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver, no gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, as I, as I said, having lived in a developing country, I'm somewhat familiar with the situation and how it should unfold in these, in these circumstances. I've seen it. I have been involved in this so many times. And I will tell you that it begins as it should, as it normally does. The beggar calls out. Uh, you know, he, 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 he sees these two, and he was probably doing this with everybody as they came in, in an indiscriminate way. Uh, they usually say the same thing to everybody who is passing along. They call out to them, and they ask, hey, um, do you have something for me? Can you give me a hand? Can you show me some compassion? A little money, please? And so they usually, it's sort of like fishing, testing the waters. You know, they, they just keep casting out that same line to everybody who goes by, you know, and, and, and ask for some help to see if there are any, any bites. And usually the response is simply a glance from the passersby. Now, you might think uh, growing or living in a situation we're in that, yeah, of course you'd look at the person. but if you live in a country like this, um, if you live in a place where there are, are beggars like this, you realize that to look at them, it, it, they're immediately going to hone in on you. 
And so you watch people walking by, uh, by people who are begging for money, who have need, who are, who are in need. And the majority of people will not even look. Because once they do, uh, the beggar sees a little bit of empathy. They begin to exploit that. And they begin to speak directly to that person. I, I didn't realize this when I first went down there. And, and you just find you've got people who grab onto you. You know, you look at them. You try and show some care in at least acknowledging them. And once you do that, they latch on to you and they keep talking and they, they specifically, and some of them are really, really manipulative, <laughs> the way they're able to, to, to try and extract something from you. And so they hone in on the person, they engage the person in conversation and try and elicit a response. It's, it's a bit of a dance, but it's not at all what happens here in this situation. That's the amazing thing. That's what makes this an unusual situation. And this is why I'd say we can note that, you know, the Lord's working in the lives of his apostles. He's working through them in this situation because instead of it being this little glance and, and Peter and John being dragged into the situation, we see our response from them, they immediately become the initiators in this interaction. They put their eyes on the beggar. It's not simply walking by in a little glance and, oh, we get dragged into it. They immediately focus on the beggar and they start to speak directly to him. It's not the beggar who's speaking directly to them. They say to him, look at us. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, this guy must be thinking, these guys have a lot of cash. Because they're going to give me something great. And maybe they're going to make a big spectacle of it saying, look, we've got all this money we're going to give you. And you're going to be all right. And we're going to bring you in to sit at our table for the rest of your life. And, and, you know, he might've been thinking that because of the way they engaged him. Think about that. How many situations we might not have be walking past temples and churches and see beggars on the steps, but how many situations call for us to engage in this life? Maybe it's our, our neighbor across the fence who's doing something and needs a hand. Do we respond? Do we listen to that voice that says, why don't you go give him a hand or give her a hand? Or, or why don't you reach out in that situation? And um, we ignore the voice. We don't act in grace. We don't act based on the voice uh, of the spirit who's filled us. We just sort of go on, and we don't get to see how God will use us because it's a little uncomfortable moving into these sort of situations. Um, and oftentimes, we see nothing produced. We see no evidence of grace. But you know, God is working in us and through us if we will be those persons People, we will learn and grow, and it won't be every cast where you catch a big one. 
But as we continue to cast grace out into the lives of those around us, as we continue to respond to situations that God places in our way, we will see how he works, how he can work in some situations. And so we see Peter and John in this moment engage with somebody who the Lord has obviously placed in their way. The Lord prompted to call out to them to ask for alms, and they could think, ah, he's asking everybody. But you know, we, as children of God, as people who have been blessed with a relationship with God, we, we are called to engage with people around us. Even in the ordinary circumstances of life. We need to be looking for opportunities to, to offer grace to them. Not our grace, the grace of God as the Spirit of God works and speaks through us. And this is what Peter and John did. And this is what turned this into kind of a bizarre situation is how they said, you know, look at us. And this guy's probably expecting, oh, I I'm going to get a big offering here. These guys want to make a spectacle of this situation. And then they say, oh, we don't have any cash. We don't have any money. And he might have been disappointed. He might have been discouraged and thinking, well, then well, what's this all about? But what we see is, response that goes beyond cash and what is it that peter and john say or what is it that is said silver and gold i don't have but what i do have i will give you in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk we could be tempted to say they offer healing but more than that what do they offer? They turn that man's gaze to the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang about that this morning. Your name. Your name. It's a shelter. It's a tower. Your name. And we remember as we studied back in Genesis that when these people, these Jewish people talk about a name, they're not just talking about the tag. They're talking about the identity of the person. We know who Jesus Christ was. We know what's being offered here. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. In his name, we offer you healing. And really, that's, that's what we're doing as we go through this life and as we attempt to reach out to people around us and as we uh, want to minister to them. The physical act um, isn't the important part. The important part is that it is Christ who is living in us, who is working through us by the power of his spirit. We see this man, and we know what his expectation is. He's hoping for uh, alms. He's hoping for a gift of money, and he's hoping hey, that it would be a lot of money. <laughs> I, could, 
turn around, the same guys who carried me here can just carry me back home because I'll have enough for today. But he receives something more. And his healing really is a representation of what these, these disciples, what these apostles have to give. I wonder, can we identify ourselves with the beggar in this moment? Um, people who need grace, need the grace of God. And how is it that we come to the Lord? Oftentimes, as we come to the Lord um, initially for salvation, or even now maybe in our life, we come in a, in a wrong way. We come to the Lord and say, Lord, could you fix this isolated problem in my life? Um, maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a fear problem. Maybe it's a relationship issue. And we say, oh, man, if only uh, we could resolve this problem, we would be happy. Everything would be okay. And we know that's not true because once that problem is fixed, always there's another thing and another thing and another thing. What is the Lord's offer? As we come to him and we say, wow, just, just help me, just give me some cash for today. Like this beggar. Just give me something for my needs. God offers us so much more. He offers to change everything from the foundation up in the name of Jesus Christ. According to his identity as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, as our personal Savior. Maybe even now, as, as we identify with this beggar, we can see places in our life where we come to him not to live in that relationship of God, my Savior, through Christ. But we're just saying, oh, just change this, Lord. Make this relationship work more smoothly. Or, Lord, give me a financial blessing so that I can pay this bill or, or have this thing that I want. Or, Lord, just take away my fear, my fears of what might happen, of this, of that, of the other thing. And we, we think, Lord, just resolve that one little issue. And he says, no, no. I want to be your God. I want to be your Savior. I don't want to be your Mr. Fix-It. And he offers us so much more. You know, if we come to God in that way, just hoping for him to resolve one little thing, we could come out the other side of a situation like this and say, wow, he, he, he ruined my life. I wonder if... Uh, this man, we don't see him in this situation, but his life was ruined by these two apostles. Think of it. Every day, he knows what he does. He gets up in the morning, gets carried to the temple, he gets laid there, and he begs for money. And he knows that's his job, and that is how he makes a living. But he's healed. He's healed by God's grace. And life is different, changed completely. No longer does he come to the temple to beg. He's not allowed. He's not able. 
he's no longer disabled. And so he has to walk on down to the unemployment office and look for a job. Do you think this bothered him? It doesn't seem to, at least at this point. We see how he responds to grace coming in and changing his life completely. But if we have a shallow understanding of things, if we come to God and say, God, just fix this one thing, you know, we'll, we'll be looking for something else to complain about that would be the one thing, the one thing that if it was resolved, my life would be good. We'll just look for another and another and another. But when we understand it as grace, the grace of God, it doesn't matter that our life has been even made more challenging by God coming in, that we've been given even more responsibility. We thank God for it. We glorify him. Because now this man has to go out. He has to look for a job. He has to earn a living by working, but he's not worried about that. He's jumping around going, praise God, I can walk. My life has been transformed in a very profound way. I have the freedom to go where I want to go now. My own two legs can carry me. Sure, now I have to work. I have to get a job, but who cares? We see how he responds in the next verses. Let's read them. Verse 7 and on. He took he took him by the right hand. Oh, this is, this is something I want to point out, too. They weren't being showmen or anything. They weren't doing a dramatic pause. Uh, they didn't wait for this man and engage him, saying, do you really want to walk? Do you want to walk? Do you want, you know, I can heal you. Look at me. Look at what I, it's like they turn to him and they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raises him up immediately. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking froms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. There was a definitive transformation here that was obvious to all. It was obvious to all those who were standing around. It was obvious to the disciples. Hey, this guy, God worked through us, and, and this guy has been healed. And it was very obvious to this man who was unable to walk. And now, he was leaping, he was dancing around, he was, he was just overjoyed. And what began with a beggar, an outstretched hand, please give, continued on with the disciple or the apostle reaching out to him saying, here, here's what I have for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And we see God in his grace reaching out to both parties through the apostles, using them to give through this man receiving grace from God in this moment. 
and we see God showing his glory, his power through this situation. I want you to think about that. Think about how it applies to our lives. How it applies to us as we go through the ordinary situations of our day. As we abide in Christ, as we walk with him, he will use us. He will use us as we reach out to show grace to other people. Not in a selfish way, if we're doing it because we want to be seen as, as the saviors, as the helpers. We'll probably come up disappointed. We will come up disappointed in the end, even if something good transpires, because we'll realize in the end it was an empty and hollow thing that was not an eternal, God-glorifying purpose, fulfillment. And so what we need to do is we need to be walking in expectation, waiting, longing for God to work through us. We need to be ready to worship him at any moment by serving others, by reaching out a hand of grace because of what he has given us, the form of his spirit who's living and dwelling within us. And I trust that as we are serious about our relationship with God and as we, as we commune with him, as we walk with him in this life, we'll have a greater sense of what he is doing on a daily basis in this world through us. Even if it's that we have to receive, that we're on the receiving end sometime, we'll be aware this is God's doing and it's glorious. Father, help us. A simple exchange, but an unexpected one. Not just a confrontation between a beggar and two children of yours, but a glorious situation where because of your presence in these two men, because of your presence in the situation, because of your willingness to transform a life, yes, your glory was seen. And in the end, we see celebration we see people who are amazed at what you can do, at the transforming power of your spirit, of your grace in the situation. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk more closely with you, to recognize the calling that we have on our lives, to be your salt, to be your light in this world and in the circumstances that we're in each day. Pray that your glory would be seen through us. And that this world that is struggling and crumbling and so full of hatred and violence, poor testimony from your image bearers would be changed by your glory and your grace. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name because of who he is, Lord and Savior. Amen.